Today's reading comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. This is the word of the Lord. All right. If you would have a seat. Um, thank you for that reading, and then also just want to express a, a certain amount of just gratitude. Uh, we have uh, the Rubinson family uh, back with us. I'm very excited about that. Uh, off of sabbatical, hopefully fresh off sabbatical, uh, though with children, you just never know. Um, but uh, it has been a little bit like uh, having a phantom limb, going to uh, gesture with it and discovering that it's not there. Uh, I've missed uh, y'all very much. I know that the church has as well. I'm excited that y'all have, uh, have returned to us and hope that we get to actually hear in the coming weeks about some of the things that they've gleaned from uh, that sabbatical. I know that y'all are as well. Uh, if you would, let me uh, pray over the word this morning, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. But we're going to spend the majority of our time there in Deuteronomy. So turn to Deuteronomy 30 if you've closed a copy of Scripture. God and Father, we do pray your blessing over your word this morning. And we know that you will do it, uh, Lord. Your, uh, your word goes out, and it does not return void. And so we uh, do this. We exercise uh, this every single week knowing and believing that you are doing your work in the field. Lord, we pray that you would plant, that you would grow, that you would water, or that you would let your light shine on us this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. So we have been, uh, but for a brief stint in the Psalms, uh, actually in the New Testament for much of the last couple of years. And uh, so what I'm expecting over the next couple of weeks is for us to discover that there's been maybe a little bit of atrophy, especially if you're not in a regular reading plan that takes you to the Old Testament, because it's a little different. Uh, preparing a sermon for the Old Testament is a little different. 
uh, because what we need to do is have a lot of context. And what we see here is is that we're going to Deuteronomy chapter 30 uh, before launching into the book of Joshua, and we discover here a man named Moses. He's the OG. He's the OG and the OT. This is Moses in the law. Like we need to have some amount of reverence, notwithstanding uh, the, uh, the reference to OG, some amount of reverence for what's actually going on here. Moses has uh, delivered the law to his people, and now he's giving them some commands about how to think about it. And so that gives us a chance this morning to wonder, how do we think about the law? How do we think about Moses? How do we think about the prophets Now, we tend to, when we think about the the law of the Lord, we tend to emphasize in modern times God's love more than the law, as if the two could exclude one another. That we think about God as a loving God, but maybe not a law-giving God, a rule-giving law. Why is this? It's because for so many of us, we have uh, maybe even uh, negative circumstances from our past where we've had people be very legalistic with us. Or maybe you just have a heart that is naturally bent towards legalism. And so to go to the law, to hear Moses even speak in this way, a curious way, about the law is confusing to us. But what we need to be reminded of is what uh, David says in Psalm 19, that the law of the Lord is perfect. That it is perfect, that it revives the soul, that the, testimo- that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So what we discover about the law before we talk about it this morning is that it is perfect, that it is sure, that it is right. In, in a word, it is truth. If you're wanting to know what truth is, you can go to the law and discover there truth. That's one of the things that we're after here at City Church, isn't it? That we're seeking a revival of joyful worship by making and growing disciples in truth. It's one of the things that we're looking for. But also there in Psalm 19, we discover that it is not just truth, that it is reviving, that it uh, initiates and inaugurates rejoicing, that it is enlightening of the eyes. So there is something in the law that is very hopeful. I wonder if you think about the law that way, that it is something that actually holds hope for you. So it is both truthful and hopeful, but then it is also something that is wise, it is pure, in a word, it is steadfast, it is enduring. So when we talk about the vision and mission here at City Church, where we want to make and grow disciples in truth, hope, and steadfastness, we can actually rely on the law to carry a lot of that weight in creating a lot of truth in us. Not just informing us of a truth, but informing us with truth and giving us hope, enlightening our eyes, giving us rejoicing, but then also making us firm and wise, steadfast, that we could be a people of truth, hope, and steadfastness. So we see all of these things, but we remember that uh, the gospel is uh, this thing of freedom, it's, uh, it's not, the gospel is not primarily something that we think of in terms of law. We think of it as freedom and setting captives free. So how are we to think of it in a New Testament age? How are we to think about this law that was given all those many years ago? And what we need to do is go and hear Jesus' own words that he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets. I have not come to abolish, but fulfill 
So we do not see anything in the gospel of Jesus Christ that is antithetical, that uh, dismembers, that disintegrates the law. We tend to think of it that way, that Jesus came and uh, fulfilled it, and now we just don't have to pay attention to it at all anymore. And of course, that's not true, because Jesus came not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. We'll be talking a little bit more about that in a few moments. But what I want to do now is uh, remind us of the core thing from this passage in verse 15. I want to read this so that we can kind of know and extrapolate a primary purpose for us this morning. Verse 15 and 16 says this, See, Moses says, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. What a a mighty promise there is from Moses in this passage. So how do we think about all of this life and death talk, all of this good and evil? How do we think about this living and multiplying and blessing? What we want to learn this morning is that those who are loyal to the Lord live long in the land. Those who are loyal to the Lord live long in the land. That's the primary thing that I think that Moses is trying to get across this morning. But we need to do a little bit of Bible study this morning to get there. And the first observation that I want to make is is that we're just parachuting into this text. There are 29 chapters before this and four after that have a lot of context for us this morning. We see that in Deuteronomy that this whole book is written after God's people are exodus from a land of captivity. It's after the book of Exodus shows them actually coming out of slavery in Egypt. But now they've been walking and wandering in the wilderness. And God has been supplying them with everything that they need. But they've been going through a lot of different elements of faithfulness and faithlessness during this time. Deuteronomy starts with Moses and God's people after the exodus, and he gives them the law. First and foremost in chapter 5, where the Ten Commandments are delivered to his people. And then again in chapter 6, where the greatest command to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength is delivered, given to his people. The most important thing is for them. And then immediately after that, in chapter 9, they fashion a golden calf. And God, comes, uh, uh, God gives all of this law to Moses, and he comes down, he breaks the tablets. But then after all of this, we see law after law. You can go and read it. If you value the law, if you've heard what Moses has said this morning, we're not going to get to all of it. But if you were to want to know what the law says, there's a really good summary in the rest of Deuteronomy. If you want to read pretty much from chapter 9 all the way through chapter 30, there are just lists and lists of things to do and not do, rules, ways that life works best, things that God actually commands of his people. And you can read through it this week. I will tell you that I did. And I was actually really invigorated by it to discover what the law of the Lord tells us. There are laws against idolatry. There are laws about what is clean and unclean in terms of food. There are laws about tithing and what's required of us. There are feasts and years and Passovers. There are kings and priests. There's actually a system and structure for and commands for people that are in leadership. There are things about property and how to think about property. 
property. There are ways of dealing with rebellious sons and ways of giving inheritances to firstborns. There are atonements and there are what to do about men hanging on trees. There are lots of different things that are actually contained here in Deuteronomy that uh, go with and complement the Levitical law that has been given. So we see how to assemble and what uh, to do as God's people. We even know and understand something about marriage and divorce from the law. And all of these things are really designed to show us what righteousness looks like so that we might understand what a departure in sin also carries for us. And what we have to include, what I conclude after having read through the majority of uh, Deuteronomy this week, is that God really cares about the details of life because he has designed you for righteous living. God really cares about giving you actually some of the playbook for life, the rules, the way that it works best, because he really cares about you leading a righteous life. So how do we think about these things? If if we need to know what a righteous life looks like, so what? Do we obey the law of the Lord to receive forgiveness from those sins? If he's telling us what righteousness looks like and what sin looks like that, apart from that, do we obey the law in order to receive favor from the Lord, namely forgiveness of sins? Or do we love the law before the Lord? Do we love it more than the Lord? Do we love it before the Lord? What is it in us? How should we think about this? And what we really have to understand is that salvation comes first. How do you think about the law? You must know that salvation comes first. If you uh, go out in our culture, there are some uh, pet Levitical laws that our culture actually knows. It knows nothing of the rest of the context, but it knows that it says that this thing is bad, this thing is good, and it's going to, people are going to bring it up to you. How are you to deal with that? How are you to deal with the discomfort of having those things put into your face? You need to remember that salvation comes first. What do I mean by that? Well, again, there's tons of context. Law is not first. It is not foremost. In order that uh, uh, the order actually really matters here. First, God's people are saved in the Exodus. God sees his people living in Egyptian slavery, and they are unable to free themselves. And so uh, uh, God gives Moses the law to go give them, right? No, he he doesn't do that at all. He says, go to my people. I've I've seen them. I have compassion on them. Go and represent them in front of Pharaoh. And you're to go in front of Pharaoh and say what? Let my people go. And then he lets them go. No, he doesn't. He says, no, these are uh, my slaves. This is how I'm building my kingdom with my power. I will not let them go. And then there are plagues. There's the death of firstborn. And then God lets Moses lead his people straight out of captivity. Why? Because salvation comes first. You cannot understand the law without understanding this very clearly. Salvation must come first. Instead of God uh, sending uh, Moses to deliver a set of rules for people to sit underneath a seat of godless oppression by Pharaoh, he says, you will be free We must see that God does not give his law for freedom. Rather, he first saves us from captivity. So how should we as Christians think about the law? We must first remember that Jesus came first to set captives free. 
If you don't get that, you're not going to get anything else. If we as Christians try to follow the law very diligently, not thinking at all about who initiated your salvation, you will misunderstand the whole point of the law. If you see the law and you understand the condemnation of sin and then you just mire in it, you you feel shame in it, you have not understood what the law is for. Why? Because the law does not come before salvation. Jesus saves his people. Christians think about this in order. Jesus came to set captives free. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Yes, Jesus commands us to do things, but first, he frees us. Just as it would be a mistake to emphasize law before salvation, it would also, though, on the second note, be a mistake to emphasize salvation without any kind of obedience. So first, he saves But second, there is thankful obedience. Verse 14 says this, The word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you can do it. So is it just salvation? Those people that just think of the gospel in terms of like God came to save sinners. They're not wrong. But when they stop right there and they don't think at all about commands and law and obedience, they're missing a huge part of the story. Why? Because there is a response. The word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can do it. What is Moses saying? Moses is saying, first, God delivered you, and now he has spoken to you so that you might obey him. His commands are not obscured by dimension. We, we actually read this earlier, right? We don't, we don't need for anybody to go into heaven and bring us the law back, right? It's not obscured by uh, uh, not just uh, dimension, but distance. Nobody needs to go over the sea to get the law and bring it back to you. Moses is saying, we have the law. The Lord has spoken. For those of us who go, man, I wish that there was a manual to life. (laughs) Moses says, there is one. God has spoken to you. God has literally given you commands that you are to listen to and to treasure and to prize. His commands are not obscured by dimension or distance. Neither are they too hard for you or too far away from you. Instead, his commands are very near to you, Moses says, and they are in you. Verse 14 says that they are in your mouth and in your heart. How can they be, how can they be in your heart? Because the Holy Spirit is doing this work of writing the law on your heart, giving you a conscience. So it's not just that, uh, that the Lord speaks by way of his law, it's also that he imprints it. He writes it into your very conscience so that you might know the difference between right or wrong. Do we know it perfectly that way? We don't. There are a lot of people that have hardened their heart towards God's good commands. But what we need to do is know and understand that he has spoken to us. So the Lord saves us and then he speaks to us. So our response should be one of thankful obedience. I spent a lot of time over the last uh, few weeks uh, off from work. And that's given me an opportunity to connect with some people outside of our body. And and yesterday, I spent quite a bit of time and even prayed for uh, a dear friend who's going through an excruciating uh, season in his marriage. Uh, One where uh, his uh, wife has been unfaithful, and he's angry about it, but he wants to remain faithful. 
So, so the question that I have in my, in my heart of hearts is, what could motivate Christians to endure an excruciating marriage? What could, uh, what could possibly motivate Christians to work for reconciliation and redemption and restoration when it seems like something so egregious, so difficult has happened? It's because the Lord saves us and then speaks to us, and our response is one of thankful obedience. Why, why would someone in another conversation uh, struggle internally with a, an identity so deeply rooted that they have uh, same-sex attraction? They're, they're a Christian, they have same-sex attraction, uh, but they see the law of the Lord. They see what God has to say about homosexual activity. Why is it, how, why is it that a person could have something so deeply rooted in their identity and then see what God has said and choose to abstain from that desire, that passion? How is it that that could happen? It's because first, God saves and then God actually speaks to us, and our response is one of thankful obedience. For many of us, we, we go out into this modern world, and we uh, deny modern sensibilities. Just in our existence as Christians, the world knows that we disapprove of certain things. How is it that we can go in confidently to this world without those same modern sensibilities and experience cultural persecution and gladness? How is it that we can do that? How is it that Christians can do that? It's because the Lord saves us, then he speaks to us. So our response is one of complete thankful obedience how often obedience or sorry however often obedience seems hard and unnecessary to us sometimes if we're being honest it seems hard to determine even sometimes how to obey but here we see Moses being very certain Moses didn't think that it was all that hard. He says, today I've set before you life and good and death and evil. If your heart turns away, you will not hear. If you are drawn away to worship other gods, surely you will perish. How is it that Moses can be that defined, that certain? How can he say such a thing? All he's saying is exactly what was said in the very beginning in Genesis. Do not eat of this tree. For in the day of, that you eat of it, you will surely die. Here, Moses is quoting that. Therefore, you will, you will absolutely have to make a decision. You will have to decide what it is that you believe. And Moses is saying that it is a simple decision. God makes it very easy for you, not just by clearly defining the law, but by saving you and speaking to you, and giving you some kind of law to follow. Hearts of gratitude do not turn away. They hear God, and they worship him. And then, what does he say in verse 19? He says, therefore, choose life. Moses' encouragement to the people that day on the receiving of the law was, choose life. Now, let's be honest. There are parts of what Moses says that are uh, very difficult to take in this morning, to, to read and to understand. And then there are parts that are just invigorating, right? So when Moses says, therefore, choose life, we go, that's wonderful. It's good. It's happy. Why is he saying to choose life? He's saying it because God has saved a people and he's meaning to take them to a place and to bless them. And he's encouraging them, choose life. Obey the law. Listen to God's statutes, his commands. 
and simply obey. That's ultimately what Moses is after this morning. But choosing to obey God is a delightful duty of a thankful heart, but it also produces life. And that's the third point this morning is the joyful blessing that comes with this. So we we just spent a moment, if we can be honest, saying, okay, we get and understand that God is uh, saving us and that we have thankful obedience, and maybe that should be enough. But Moses doesn't want us to actually lose anything here. He wants for us to understand that there is actually blessing on the back end. So this message this morning, you can kind of actually take in three parts. And the middle part is hard. It's hard to deal with. That there is uh, thankful obedience. But the first and the last are wonderful. The first one is, is that he saves first. The last one is that we receive joyful blessing. Verse 19, what does verse 19 say? Look at it with me. He says that you will receive this, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. We are tempted to believe that obeying the law of the Lord is like some sort of cosmic killjoy, if we're being honest. We think about obedience as being something that really stifles our own identity or that keeps us back from certain pleasures or that limits us in some kind of way that we might be self-actualized, right? When we're being really honest about the law of the Lord, we tend to think of it that way, but here we actually see that it leads to joyful blessing. Why? Verse 20, it says this, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land of the Lord that he swore to you. Obedience to the law does not bring salvation, but obedience to the law does bring blessing. So so for the legalist out there, I want to say this again. Following the law, obeying the law, obeying Jesus' commands, obeying the Old Testament commandments as perfectly as you can will never save you. But obeying God's rules for the way that life works best, guess what it does do? It gives us blessings. And and it's not in this age, I know that there is something about this that gets very uncomfortable because it starts to feel a little bit like health, wealth kinds of preaching. But if God designed you for righteousness... If he knows the way that life works best, we can not just assume, but we can know that when he gives us a rule, it is actually meant for you to thrive. That if he has something to say about your marriage, if he has something to say about the way that you conduct your business, if he has something to say about the way that you discipline your children, spend your money, the things that you engage in, the kind of joking that you do, if he has something to say to you about those things, he's not doing it because he wants to steal your joy, but rather because he wants to give you joy. Ultimately, what we can see in all of this is that God is trying to bless his people. He is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. Obedience to the law does not bring salvation, but obedience to the law does bring blessing. In Deuteronomy, the Lord has created for himself a people, and he is giving them a place, and he wants to bless them. Verse 16 says this, If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his statutes and rules, then, look, then, 
if you obey, then you will live, you will multiply, you will be blessed, you will have a place to possess. Obedience begets blessing. Let us never forget it. That's what Moses is on about this morning. But I want to step back here a little bit because we've been making application as we've kind of gone along to today, to Christian life, to new covenant living, right? We've been making those applications, but this, it's very important for us to remember that this was God speaking to a specific people at a specific point in time for a specific place. When he's talking about the land that they might possess, it's talking about a literal geography, God has actually to this point with Moses not let them go into the promised land, not let them go into the place that they were going to possess because they had disobeyed him. They hadn't been faithful in the moments where he had commanded them to do things. In fact, in one chapter later, in chapter 31, we actually see God foretell Moses' death and tell him, you're not going to go into that promised land. So we're talking about a real people with a real place. But what I want to do is ask the question, how does this apply to us? What we need to know is is that God keeps his promises of joyful blessing, not just for them, but for us today. God keeps his promises of joy-filled blessing for the people then and for the place then and for his people now and for the place that we are going. I want for us to hear then this morning's primary point in light of Jesus. Those loyal to the Lord will live long in the land. What we need to understand, what we must understand, what you must read Deuteronomy chapter 30, what you must prepare for as we launch into Joshua is that Jesus is is the perfect Moses. He's the perfect Moses, and he's leading his people into a perfect land to possess. What, what, what am I talking about here? Jesus saves us first. We, we've already talked about this. I won't belabor this, but he leads us out of a land of captivity to sin and into an eternal land of the living. Jesus is that perfect Moses leading us into the promised land of heaven. So we we must say then, well, then there's no law to obey. If Jesus has already led us over into that land, then surely what we need to know now is is that we have already entered the land and there's no need for obedience. What I want to do is actually spend a a couple of moments in Matthew chapter 5. You can turn there with me if you'd like, uh, but ultimately we're going to uh, read out of uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. It says this, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth has passed away, not an iota, not a dot. In the King James Version it says, not a jot or a tittle will pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is it that Jesus is on about here? He's in some ways pointing back to this law that was given by way of Moses, right? And he's saying that you need to continue to consider it. Christian, Christian. Have you considered the law? 
Do you know the law? Have you read the law? Are you familiar with the law? Do you know what it is telling you? Do you know what the standard, God's standard of righteousness is? For most of us, let's be honest, we've focused very, very specifically on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know and can recite the glories of the free grace that we are given in Jesus Christ, and we have focused myopically on the New Testament. What we're looking to do here at City Church over the next uh, little season is actually to get more robustness to that gospel story, uh, a more understanding of the full redemption story. Because ultimately what Jesus is saying is, is not that there is no law to obey at all, but that none of it is passed away at all. It is still good. It still revives the soul. Do you believe it? Or do you think that when Jesus came that he dismantled the law, that it no longer applies, that it has nothing to do with you? Of course, we can't believe that. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Whoever does and teaches these things is great in the kingdom of heaven. They, they receive blessing. What I want to do in closing is actually read to you a section of Romans uh, chapter 10. Uh, actually, just in the last few weeks, the elder and deacon candidates, we were studying this passage as we kind of march through the book of Romans. And, and maybe you need to know that, that we actually have some guys who have, uh, who have said, I want to be considered as an elder or deacon candidate. We've spent the last long season actually uh, praying on a weekly basis and studying Romans, studying through Romans. For months, we've been doing this. But a few weeks ago, we actually went to uh, Romans and we were studying it, and this is very interesting. It says this, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down. That's a very curious statement. I want to stop right there. What is, it that, what is it that Paul's doing? Well, he's going all the way back to this same language in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And what he's saying is, is that we don't need anybody to go to heaven to bring the law to us. Why? Because Jesus is already there. And to pretend like we needed some law from heaven now that would be to pretend like Jesus is not there. What does it then say? It actually then says, or who will descend into the abyss? Same language from uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. What is it? It's to pretend as though Jesus did not already raise from the dead. What a curious thing. But what does it say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does all of this mean? All of this means that the law is good, it is perfect, it revives the soul, and it gives us something steadfast to stand on. But that at the end of the day, all it was doing was pointing to a great Savior, a need for someone to descend to heaven. Not to bring the law with him, but to take on the law, to fulfill the law, to hang on a tree, to actually be crucified, to be dead and to be buried because of our sin, because of the fact that we could never fulfill the law in and of ourselves. It's to focus on Jesus as this resurrected king, this ascendant king, this mighty savior who sits in heaven above waiting for his father to point him back to earth and say, return, collect your bride. 
What we need to know, beloved, is, is that all of this is one story about King Jesus. Jesus is the one that makes us great in the kingdom of heaven. But he doesn't relinquish us from obedience. He wants us to be joyfully obedient. So he saves us. And then he says, go make disciples of all nations. But in this very same breath, he says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Does Jesus release us from an obligation for obedience? Does he, does he release us from joyfully trying to thankfully obey our king? He does not. He dies for us where we can't and then uh, commands us to go and to live and to thrive and to be blessed. Salvation, obedience, blessing. This is one of the stories of Scripture. So as we head into this new year, what does that mean for us? I actually want to cast a little bit of vision for us. We've been keeping things simple around here for the last two years. It may not have felt like it, but we only have a few things kind of going on because we're trying to build something, uh, build a firm foundation here. What I want to tell you is a little bit about what City Church is doing in 2023 to uh, make and to grow disciples in truth, hope, and steadfastness. The first one's very easy. We're going to be jumping into the book of Joshua. I want to encourage you to read along with us study it along with us. We're going to be in uh, the book of Joshua. I think it has great things to say about not our loyalty, but the loyalty of the Lord to fulfill all of his promises to his people. So that's the first thing that we're going to do. The second thing that we're going to do is we're going to do some scripture memorization as one body. So over the last few years, we've been doing a uh, Bible reading plan. Now, as a body, we're picking one chapter. It's 1 Peter chapter 2. You're going to be getting some instruction on this, and we're going to be taking little chunks at a time, and throughout the course of the year, we're going to try to memorize a whole chapter of Scripture together. I want to encourage you, don't let it pass by you. Don't get behind. Engage in this. We want to do this as a body as we look to uh, be informed by truth as we want to look hopefully towards our Savior and as we want to develop steadfastness. Another thing that we're going to be doing is the last Monday of every month, we're going to be choosing to, uh, as a body, fast together if you're able. So we're introducing scripture memory and fasting together as a body, and we're going to actually be following Zane's lead as we uh, begin to emphasize more prayer in the, uh, in the places that we're, uh, that we're in. Okay, so that's, the, that's the, some of the, the uh, high-level stuff. There's some specific things, though, that you need to know. Do you have kids? Are they uh, uh, kindergarten age and up? Okay, if you do, we're actually expanding our offerings for Kid City. You may know this already, you may not know this, but uh, during our feast, we actually have a special time set apart for all of our students that they gather together. We've been doing some Bible study and some fellowship and games and stuff like that in uh, the room just adjacent to us during uh, those, but they've always been after our gatherings. They haven't been, uh, they haven't been kind of coincident with our gatherings. Uh, what we're going to be doing in the new year is picking one time per month uh, as well to actually have time set aside uh, for our kids uh, that are student age to study the Bible themselves uh, with some teachers. If you're interested in volunteering for that and everything, please uh, talk with uh, Jordan Winkler. Uh, we're going to be doing that this month, starting this month. We're going to have one time per month where our kids actually go and do some Bible study uh, in an age-appropriate way themselves. Uh, we're going to have them in here with us because we love having our kids with us. And then we're going to have uh, city students also during the feast. 
Here's another thing that I want for you to, uh, uh, to know. Uh, men, we're going to expand uh, uh, to a few more things that we're doing this year uh, for you to be engaged in. Uh, the first one is, is that we're going to have a happy hour once a month. Okay, uh, the first one is actually on the 12th. We're going to be meeting at Ye Old Bull and Bush, and we're going to have uh, each month a picked topic of either uh, theology or pop culture or politics just to discuss. And what we're doing is not looking to get in a fight with one another, though there will be some discourse. That's what we're naming it. It's going to be called discourse. Okay, so men, we're going to gather together and we're actually going to be looking to be formed together. Our ladies have had lots of different offerings. Uh, we've had mostly just one-off events or a retreat. This year we're going to have something every single month for you to participate in. One of the things that as I look at our church uh, as uh, being the lead of vision uh, for City Church that I see us really needing to grow in is evangelism and outreach. Uh, what we're going to be doing over the course of this year is fine-tuning uh, uh, two events that we already have uh, to help you bring people in uh, and, and to equip you also for evangelism. Our sing events are going to be geared towards singing. Uh, our people uh, that are in our lives that don't know and love Jesus, they know that Christians sing. You've heard me say this before. But what we're going to be doing is actually trying to provide a short testimonial or a devotional or just an evangelistic testimony uh, where you can bring non-believers into that space. And it's really better suited and better designed than the average Sunday morning for uh, your family and friends that don't know Jesus to come into that space. So I want to encourage you. Uh, come to Sings. If you're not uh, involved in a discipleship group, it's a really great way to connect with people across our body. So come to those Sings. That's what they're designed for. In fact, we might be even changing uh, times that we meet and some of the uh, ways that we do that to make it more conducive for you to outreach and to bring people into the fold. Uh, then also our feast days. Our feast days are not really going to change all that much except for uh, the elder team is going to do some fine-tuning on those weeks specifically to maybe shorten the gathering a little bit more and to make them more conducive for an evangelical testimony to where if you're like, man, I really want to bring some people to City Church. I want for some people to come and experience the family here, but I don't know if Chris is going to get up and like give a heavy-handed service about the law, and I just don't want to chance it. If that's you, if you're thinking, I'm not sure that I want to bring friends into that space, the feast days are going to be the space where we're actually trying to not give away what we are called to do here, but just make those weeks where you can uh, invite family and friends most easily into those spaces. That will help us grow in our ability to uh, evangelize and to outreach. The last thing is, is that if you are still looking for a discipleship group, uh, we would love to know about that. We've been kind of working together on the back end to kind of set some things up to where we can kind of filter some people into some new groups, form new groups. Uh, so uh, please come and let me know if you're looking for a group or if you're looking to switch groups. I'd love to talk with you about that. So I know that all of the stuff that we did at the very end is very organizational today. I know that it doesn't seem like we're ending on a very spiritual note. It seems very practical. But make no mistake, we really are aimed at growing in truth, hope, and steadfastness. We actually want to see people uh, know and come to realize that they are saved first by Jesus Christ, that they can be joyfully obedient, and they will experience the blessings of an almighty Father in this space because of what we're doing here. So let me pray uh, God's blessing over that, and then we'll uh, take communion together and uh, sing also. God and Father, we thank you uh, this morning. 
for your word. We ask you that you would help us in our endeavors this morning, uh, Lord, to see uh, a season of thriving uh, really take root, um, for growth to happen here at City Church. We're so thankful for your direction always, and we ask you that you would continue to love and lead us in these ways as we head into a new year. Would you be with us? Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.